Hello and welcome to Folklore of the Universe, the podcast that's always got its eye on you. Not in like a creepy way, but in like a, a different way. I don't know what non-creepy way. Use your imagination. A non-creepy way for it to be have its eye. Um, I'm your host, Kyle. This is episode 24, I think. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the Halloween special uh, last couple, epi- last week episodes. The previous episode, the Halloween special, I really enjoyed making it, so hopefully you enjoyed listening to it. As I said before, this is going to be a special um, Turkish-themed episode because I just got back from there, and that's that's what we're going to be doing. And then, of course, we're going to have another regular episode in just two weeks' time. So, let's get down to it. So, before we go to our Monster of the Week, I first want to talk about something else, and this is the evil eye. And before I start, just a disclaimer, this is not in any way unique to Turkish culture. This is from all over the goddamn world, all over Europe, Central Asia, uh, Northern India. It's a really widespread cultural thing, but it's also in Turkey, which is where I saw it. So that's that's why it's tied into here. And the evil eye is the belief that you can cast a curse on someone with a malevolent gaze, or literally, you have your eye is evil You look at them with that evil eye, and they are cursed. Obviously, not really a great thing, then. You don't want to be cursed. No one does. And the really sketch thing about this is that, since it's just cast through a gaze, if you're in a crowded market or street, someone could just give you an evil gaze, and you're cursed. You've got no way of knowing who it is, or what, how to protect against it. You know, you're just, you're just done. So that is why you get a little evil eye charm of your own which usually literally look like an eye. Uh, In Turkey, they're called nazar, N-A-Z-A-R, and they look like these little blue glass eyes, which he wears like an amulet, or I saw a lot of places, uh, people would have them over the doors to their homes or their shops. Uh, Sometimes they were just built into the sidewalks of places, or people would have them on the hood dashes of their cars. So a pretty common thing still. And nowadays, it's become less specific towards warding off the evil eye and just warding off bad luck in general. So having one of these Nazar is like a good luck charm. It'll keep bad forces away and sometimes bounce it back on the person who tries to curse you in the first place. So very nice to have. And they also protect uh, physical places too, which is why you'd have them over your door or on your car because it wards off curses from those too. So a cool tradition... They're also just very cool to look at. If you Google them up, it's a N-A-Z-A-R, Nazar. They're really neat looking. I, I quite like them. So that's just a nice little culture folklore tidbit before we get into our Monster of the Week. But we're going to do that now, Monster of the Week time. And this episode, our Monster of the Week is the Gulyabani. And the Gulyabani comes from both Turkish and Azerbaijani folklore. And they're an evil spirit, which um, roams around graveyards and deserts at nighttime, and they just like scaring people at night. That's their jam. They appear as sort of this ghoul-like creature with a long beard, or sometimes sort of werewolf-like even. So they're this big, hairy, ghoulish beast monster. They also have a fondness for riding horses and stealing horses and mixing the horse's mane all up and getting all tangled and knotted, which is kind of a dick move. Like, it's sort of... You know, it's like someone takes your car out and then screws it up. They spill their nachos and soda all over the seat. That's not, that's not that great. 
But according to legend that if a human can penetrate his collar with a needle, like a sewing needle, then he'll have to work for you. So you can sort of tame them or, or at least make them stop trolling you, which is always good. Generally though, it's just best to avoid them. And really, these are fairly standard trickster entities. There's a lot of a lot of folklore monsters that do the same thing. They lurk out there at nighttime, scare travelers. Uh, the concept of stealing horses and tangling up their manes that shows up in a few places, like the Lutin from French folklore has also done that. So really, just best to avoid these guys, unless you've got your sewing gear on you. If you if you're prepared with your sewing gear, you're all set for life. You've got it. But now it's time to move on to our first story. And like I said before, this is a Turkish one. This is called the Fish Perry. There was once a fisherman of the name Mahomet who made a living by catching fish and selling them. One day, being seriously ill and having no hope of recovery, he requested that, after his death, his wife should never reveal to their son that their livelihood had been derived from the sale of fish. The fisherman died, and time passed away until the son reached an age when he should begin to think about an occupation. He tried many things, but none did he succeed. Soon afterwards, his mother also died. The boy found himself alone in the world and destitute, without food or money. One day, he ascended to the lumber room of the house, hoping to find there something he might be able to sell. During his search, he discovered his father's old fishing net. The sight of it convinced the youth that his father had been a fisherman, so he took the net and went to sea. A modest success attended his efforts, for he caught two fish, one of which he sold, purchasing bread and coal with the money. The remaining fish he cooked over the coal that he had bought, and having eaten it, he resolved that he would follow the occupation of a fisherman. It happened one day that he caught a fish so fine that it grieved him either to sell it or to eat it. So he took it home, dug a well, and put the fish therein. He went supperless to bed, and being hungry, he got up early next morning to catch more fish. When he came home in the evening, we may imagine his astonishment at finding that his house had been swept and put in order during his absence. Thinking, however, that he owed it to his neighbor's kindness, he prayed for them and called down Allah's blessing upon them. Next morning, he rose as usual, cheered himself with the sight of the fish in the well, and went to his daily work. On returning in the evening, he found that again, everything in the house had been made beautifully clean and tidy. After amusing himself for some time by watching the fish, he went to a coffee house, where tried to think who it could be that had put his house in order. His reflective mood was noticed by one of his companions, who asked what he was thinking about. When the youth had told the story, his companion inquired where the key was kept, and who remained at home during the fisherman's absence. The youth informed him that he carried the key with them, and there was no living creature about except the fish. The companion then advised him to remain at home the next day, and watch in secret. The youth accordingly went home, and next morning, instead of going out, merely made a pretense of doing so. He opened the door and closed it again, and hid himself in the house. All at once, he saw the fish jump out of the well and shake itself, when behold, it became a beautiful maiden. The youth quickly seized the fish's skin, which it had shed, and cast it into the fire. You should not have done that, said the maiden reprovingly, but as it cannot now be helped, it does not matter. Being thus set free, the maiden consented to become the youth's wife, and preparations were made for the wedding. All who saw the maiden were bewildered by her beauty, and said she was worthy to become the bride of the Padishah. This news reaching the ears of the Padishah, he ordered her to be brought before him. 
When he saw her, he fell in love with her instantly and determined to marry her. Therefore, he sent for the youth and said to him, If in forty days you can build me a palace of golden diamonds in the middle of the sea, I will not deprive you of the girl. But if you fail, I shall take her away. The youth went home very sadly and wept. Why do you weep? asked the maiden. He told her what the Padishah had commanded, but she said cheerfully, Do not weep, we shall manage it. Go to the spot where you caught me as a fish and cast in a stone. An Arab will appear and utter the words, Your command. Tell him the lady sends her compliments and requests a cushion. He will give you one. Take it and cast it into the sea where the Padishah wishes his palace built, then return home. The youth followed all of these instructions, and next day, when they looked towards the place where the cushion had been thrown into the sea, they saw a palace even more beautiful than the Padishah had described. Rejoicing, they hastened to tell the monarch that his palace was an accomplished fact. Now the Padishah demanded a bridge of crystal. Again the youth went home and wept. When the maiden heard the cause of his new grief, she said, Go to the Arab as before, and ask him for a bolster. When you get it, cast it into the sea before the palace. The youth did as he was counseled, and looking round, he saw a beautiful bridge of crystal. He went directly to the Padishah, and told him that the task was fulfilled. As a third test, the Padishah now demanded that the youth should prepare such a feast that everyone in the lands might eat thereof, and yet something should remain over. The young fisherman went home, and while he was absorbed in thought, the maiden inquired what was the matter. On hearing of the new command, she advised, Go to the Arab, and ask him for the coffee mill, but take care not to turn it on the way. The youth obtained the coffee mill from the Arab without any difficulty, and bringing it home, he began quite unconsciously to turn it, and seven or eight plates of food fell out. Picking them up, he proceeded homewards. On the appointed day, everyone in the land, in accordance with the Padishah's invitation, repaired to the fisherman's house to take part in the feast. Every guest ate as much as he wanted, and yet in the end, a considerable portion of food remained over. Still obdurate, the Padishah ordered the youth to produce a meal from an egg. The youth describes to the maiden his latest task. She told him to fetch three eggs from the Arab and bring them home without breaking them. He obtains the eggs, but on his way back drops one and broke it. Out of the egg sprang a great mule, which after running to and fro, finally plunged into the sea and was seen no more. The youth arrived home safely with the two remaining eggs. Where is the third? asked the maiden. It is broken replied the youth. You ought to have been more careful, said the maiden, but as it is done, it cannot be helped. The youth carried the eggs to the Padishah and asked permission to mount upon a bench. This being granted, he stood on the bench and threw up the egg. Instantly a mule sprang forth and fell on the Padishah, who sought in vain to flee. The youth rescued the monarch from his danger, and the mule then ran away and plunged into the sea. In despair his inability to find an impossible task for the youth, the Padishah now demanded an infant, not more than a day old, who could both speak and walk. Still undaunted, the maiden counseled the youth to go to the Arab with her compliments, and inform him that she wished to see his baby nephew. The youth accordingly summoned the Arab, and delivered the message. The Arab answered, He is but an hour old. His mother may not wish to spare him. However, wait a bit, and I will do my best. To be brief, the Arab went away and soon reappeared with a newly born infant. No sooner did it see the fisherman than it ran up to him and exclaimed, We are going to Antes, are we not? The youth took the child home, and immediately it saw the maiden with the word 
Auntie! and embraced her. On this, the youth took the child to the Padishah. When the child was brought into the presence of the monarch, it stepped up to him, struck him on the face, and thus addressed him. How is it possible to build a palace of gold and diamonds in forty days? To rear a crystal bridge also in the same time? For one man to feed all the people in the land? For a mule to be produced from an egg? At every sentence, the child struck him a fresh blow, till finally the Padishah cried to the youth that he might keep the maiden to himself, if only he would deliver him from the terrible infant. The youth then carried the child home. He wedded the maiden, and the rejoicings lasted for forty days and forty nights. The End This story might feel kind of familiar, because a common European one is fishermen fishing at magical fish, and those fish help them fulfill impossible tasks, which we see sort of similar here. This one's got some interesting differences, though, because the fish isn't just a fish, it's a maiden, which is also cool in itself because it's kind of like the selkie from Irish mythology, which is a, uh, a seal who's actually a person wearing a seal, seal suit, seal skin, and they can take it off and become a human, and of course if you take their skin, then they're stuck as a human. So that's the whole thing, so we see the same deal here. Another interesting thing is that we've got five tasks. Normally, impossible tasks are in sets of threes, but it's, it's interesting that we've got five instead of three for this one, so it's kind of a deviation from the norm. We also have this entity in the title called the Peri, and a Peri is a type of benevolent spirit. They're typically described as being like jinn or genies, but whereas most genies are malevolent and wicked, uh, Peris are nice and friendly, which we see in this story where the fish Peri, the maiden, is pretty nice and helpful to the youth, even though he sort of kidnapped her and took away her magic fish powers. And by extension, the Arab who keeps coming up in the ocean to give the youth magical items is probably a parry as well. Another cool thing about this story is the challenges themselves because they kind of stand out from other impossible challenges. Like building a giant palace of gold and stuff and crystal bridge, that's fairly standard. And the feast for everyone, that's also a bit standard. But producing a mule from an egg and having an infant who can walk and talk, I'm not sure where those come from. It's Weird request, though. I'm not sure why the Padishah would want those. But, you know, I mean, you do you, man. Whatever you like. Also, I love how the end of the story is the infant just schooling the Padishah and smacking him up until he begs to get rid of him. That's uh, it's a really comedic ending to the story, which I quite like. Important moral, too. Watch out for babies because they can see through the BS, man. They know, they know what's up sometimes. Either that or they just drool on themselves. It's a 50-50 toss. But now we're going to move on to our next story. And this story is an Azerbaijani one. And Azerbaijani is also Turkish. It's a Turkish language, or Turkic language. Because really, Turkic language is a huge area. It's not just Turkey. It's Central Asia. It goes all over the place. So they're, they're, all, they're all part of it. And similar cultural roots. That's why we're going to do this story, too. And this story is called The Trickster Goat. Once there was, and once there wasn't, a group of people moving from the mountains to the plains. A goat, a calf, and a sheep from the herds were in a hidden place eating grass, were not aware that their people were leaving them. When they raised their heads, however, their people were already gone. The calf went to the goat. Brother goat, he cried, the wolf is going to eat us, please find a way. The goat replied, let us find a hut and start living in it. All three of them agreed and started searching for a hut. Along the way, 
They found the pelt of a bear for the calf, a pelt of wolf for the goat, and the pelt of fox for the sheep to cover themselves with. After some more wandering, they finally found a hut and happily entered it, only to find a bear, a wolf, and a fox having a chat. The bear spoke happily to the fox. Grandfather Fox, please bring me a piece of wood. The fox brought a piece of wood from the corner. The bear put the wood on his chest and started singing, Ring my lute ring, today I ate a calf, another fell down the chimney. The wolf took the wood from the bear and sang, Ring my lute ring, today I ate a goat, another came to me willingly. Then the fox took the wood, Ring my lute ring, today I ate a sheep, and shall have another one. After hearing all of this, the goat told the sheep, Bring me a piece of wood. The sheep gave the goat the piece of wood. The goat put the wood on his chest and started singing, Ring my lute ring, today I ate a wolf, covered myself with its pelt, and I shall eat another one. Then he gave the wood to the calf. The calf took the wood and sang, Ring my lute ring, today I ate a bear, covered myself with its pelt, and I shall eat another one. The calf gave the wood to the sheep, who also sang, Ring my lute ring, today I ate a fox, covered myself with its pelt, and I shall eat another one. When the fox heard this, it ran out of the hut, followed by the wolf and the bear. The goat told his comrades, That trick saved our lives. They will have time to think while they run, and they will return to eat us. Let's run somewhere else. The three of them agreed to leave. They wandered for a little, and they stumbled upon a rock. They decided to climb the rock and lie down there. Meanwhile, the bear, the wolf, and the fox were still running. Suddenly the wolf spoke up. Hey, a goat, a calf, and a sheep won't be able to eat us. They tricked us. Let's go back and eat them. Once they returned to the hut, they found it to be abandoned. They followed the track of the three animals and stumbled upon a rock. They saw the goat, the calf, and the sheep on top of the rock. Once the calf noticed the bear's scary gaze, he got frightened, slipped and fell from the rock. The goat, seeing this, yelled as loud as he could. Brother calf, go get the bear. We'll take care of the wolf and the fox. After hearing this, the fox ran off, while the wolf and the bear followed. The three herd friends laughed for a while together. Later, all three of them found a way to the plains and rejoined the herds of their people. The End Here we have yet another animal shenanigan story, which we all love, of course. I hope we do. We better do. And like in a lot of other animal stories, we've got the goat being clever in this one. Although interestingly, the fox isn't clever, and usually foxes are clever in stories, but not in this one, I guess. It's the goat. Yes, because the goat has to win. That's how the story goes. And of course, like other clever animals in folk stories, it's because goats IRL are really clever, so that just translates over. What's really cool about this story, though, is that you've got this whole thing of the people moving from the mountains to the plains, and this indicates that this comes from nomad times, when people didn't live in farming cities, they moved around with their herds of animals. So this gives an indicator that the story is probably fairly old. So a very cool little detail we can figure out from the story. Or people wrote it later and said it during an earlier time. I mean, that's also a possibility. We don't really know, but one of those, maybe. I also think it's cool how in this one, the farm animals trick the predators by dressing up as them, which is a really interesting tactic. It's not what you typically think of for tricking predators, but hey, what works, what works, right? Could you imagine if they started doing that now? Like cows just started wearing like human suits? That'd be freaky. Watch out for animals and clothes. Unless it's dogs and those little pirate outfits, they're probably up to something. 
But I'm afraid that's all I really have time for, so thank you, as always, for listening to Folklore of the Universe. I've been Kyle. Uh, I'll see you in two weeks' time for another regular episode. Again, if you like this, share it around. If you have any story suggestions, if there's a story you want me to look at, or anything like that, or any suggestions, feedback, all that jazz, shoot me an email. That's in the description. And yeah, I will see you next time. And bye bye. <laughs>